Good morning. I'd like to take as my text today, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. I hope Rachel isn't watching this on video. Um, our younger daughter, Rachel, uh, was in kindergarten once upon a time. And when she was in kindergarten, we got the only call we've ever gotten from the office, from the principal, uh, about Rachel. Um, she'd been in a kicking fight with somebody in the, while they were waiting for uh, the, something in the cafeteria. And it all got settled and uh, she came home and Donna said to her, Rachel, you know, what happened? And she said, well, so-and-so was kicking me. Well, so what happened? Well, so I kicked her back. <laughs> well, why didn't you tell the teacher that, that so-and-so was kicking you instead of kicking her back? And she said, Mom, everybody knows you're not allowed to get out of line. <laughs> so I couldn't tell the teacher. Rules. If I were sitting where you're sitting right now, I would say, rules, you know, we did rules last week. Do we have to do rules again this week? Uh, it doesn't seem very fair. We're doing rules all the time here. Leviticus, in our first reading today, gives us a list of rules. And, you know, when you first look at the rules, they're pretty good. They're not really too tough. Leave something in your fields for the poor and the alien. Doesn't mean as much to us now as it did then, but we get it. Don't steal. Don't deal falsely. Don't defraud. Don't steal again. Be nice to those with disabilities. Judge fairly. Don't profit from another's loss. Be nice to your neighbors, but keep them in line, too. This kind of fits together to, to fit into some sort of universal natural law of goodness. We understand this. This is the way we should behave. But as soon as you read beyond the edges of the field that we were reading in, you realize that our readings were chosen really very uh, carefully and very specifically, and there's been a bit of picking and choosing. Because the very next verse, Leviticus 19.19, 19, says, you shall not put on a garment made of two different materials. Okay. And then Jesus comes along in the gospel, and Jesus makes it even worse, even harder, even weirder. Jesus says, don't just abate your violence towards one another. Don't only take an eye if somebody takes out an eye. And Leviticus goes on and on and on about who loses an eye when so-and-so loses an eye, and what happens if it's an ox that does it as opposed to a human. Don't just take a don't do the tooth for tooth thing, but instead, turn the other cheek, give away your cloak, submit docilely to oppressive authority, tote that barge, lift that bale, do whatever they tell you. And besides that, don't just love your friends, love your enemies, love those who are oppressing you. Well, neither the two fabrics thing 
nor the loving your enemies thing really appear to fit into any sort of natural, universal law, any view of how the, we know the world really works. So many rules, so much difficulty. And not only that, we got all these rules that we got to keep. Why should we bother keeping them anyhow? Well, maybe it's because God said so, and if we don't keep the rules, something bad will happen to us. That's um, what I've heard some people call vending machine theology. You, you put in a good deed, you get out a better house. You put in a good deed, you get out a little bit more money. You put in a good deed, you get out good health. Well, we know the world doesn't work that way. One doesn't need to look very far at all to see bad things happening to good people and vice versa. We know, and Jesus tells us, that God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends his rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. It's not as simple as a vending machine. Well, maybe it's that God did something good, so now we should do something good. It's an obligation. It's our job somehow to do something good in return. That may be true, but it's kind of a drag, and I'm still not sure why I can't wear a cotton poly shirt. And either way, vending machine or obligation, we're in trouble. We know from the beginning that we won't be able to live up to the rules that have been set. So let's look back. Maybe we're missing some deeper point in these readings. We'll go back and we'll read through some of the seminal passages in the readings from today. And I think that the first one of those is in Leviticus. I've already told it to you once, but I'll tell it to you again. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Not you shall act holy, you shall be holy. And if you read the Greek, I don't read Greek, but I can read a translation uh, of what Jesus said. Jesus says, you shall therefore be perfect or complete or mature as your father who in the heavens is perfect or complete or mature. Not you shall act perfect, but you shall be perfect. What are we to make of this? Well, in a completely different place where God calls Jeremiah in the book of Jeremiah, God says to Jeremiah right at the very beginning, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Before you were, I knew you. And God did that not because of something Jeremiah had done, not because of something Jeremiah was to do, but because God is holy. God did that not because Jeremiah was good, 
not because Jeremiah was going to do something good, but because God is holy. And God loves us, not because we're good, not because we're going to do something good, but because God is holy. It's God's action, not our own. And I'll repeat that. It's God's action, not our own. Perhaps equally importantly, we need to understand that God's holiness, God's loving us, won't necessarily make us good. God has probably actually read all the self-help books that remind God that the only person God can change is God's self. That loving another person will not make that person change. But God loves us anyhow because God is holy. God's holiness may not make us good, but God's holiness does make us holy. We're the work, after all, of God's hands. Well, we know that God's first holy creation lasted less than a chapter in Genesis. God made man, God made woman, woman met serpent, man and God ate apple, and it went downhill from there. But God didn't give up. In the words of, the, of our Book of Common Prayer, Again and again, God called us to return. Through prophets and sages, God revealed God's righteous law. And in the fullness of time, God, you sent your only son, born of a woman, to fulfill your law, to open for us the way of freedom and peace. God sent Jesus to make us all, in the words of St. Paul, a new creation to remind us that we are holy. And in today's epistle, God, uh, Paul tells the Corinthians, do you not know that you are God's holy temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. We can't escape it. We are holy. Okay. So we carry the divine spark, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God within each one of us. We're holy, whether we want to be or not. We're loved, whether we want to be or not. Whether we choose to believe it or not. Whether we act that way or not. We can't earn the holiness. We can't earn the love. It's just there. But we can't. We just can't walk around all day, every day, trying to repay the gift that we've been given. It would be exhausting. And we wouldn't be able to do it anyhow. So what response can we have to this unearned gift that we'll never be able to live down and never be able to live up to. As I was sitting, kind of spinning around in my chair by the computer, uh, trying to find a way to explain 
this, I looked over at our dog. She was staring at me adoringly, hoping maybe I'd drop a steak out of my pocket or something. And I had it. Dogs. They always want to please. They don't have the faintest idea how to do it. But they really, really want to please. I know I just slipped my lead, chased that cat up a tree, knocked that kid off his bike while I was trying to lick him, but I eventually came when you called. It's all okay, isn't it? <laughs> Cats, on the other hand, but I won't get into the cat lover, dog lover thing. Um, dogs, in all the millennia that they've lived with humans, have become hardwires to want to please, to keep coming back with their doggy smiles, with their tongues lolling out, regardless of what they've been rolling in. So maybe we should be more like dogs. Not exactly like dogs, please, but just more like them. It doesn't diminish some of the obligation we should feel. We should certainly strive to be aware that we are holy. We should certainly strive to be aware that others are holy. We should certainly strive to act like we understand this, these things, and that we really, really, really mean to act on it someday. But we should also take a lesson from our canine cousins. And every once in a while, just drop by God's place, smile and stare and love, regardless of what we've been digging up in the backyard. Our prayer should be, our prayer to God should be that of the psalmist today. Make me go in the path of your commandments, for that is my desire. Incline my heart to your decrees. God, please make me do what I should. Please help me do what I should. Because even the smallest seed of willingness to do so is in itself a gift from you. But regardless of how well we do with our end of the bargain, when we lope on back to God, sit at God's feet, look at God in love, and listen, really listen, God has given us another gift. We can imagine that regardless of how unworthy we feel, regardless of where we've been, regardless of what we've done, when we lope on back to God, we can hear God say the very words that we long to hear most. Good dog. Amen. <laughs>